fair to say that being shut out is a terrible feeling. Cast your minds back to a time when you were perhaps shut out. What did it feel like? Perhaps you were racing for a plane and those security checks seem to be taking an age and you're looking at your watch and you know that boarding is about to close. And what's your fear in that moment? It's that boarding will be closed and then you cannot get on that plane. You'll be shut out, left at whatever airport you're standing, stranded. You're shut out. Perhaps you buy tickets for a show and you're too late and they won't let you in. You've missed it. You're shut out. Perhaps you see the perfect job opportunity, but you leave it too late to apply and you're shut out. Indeed, such is my great fear of being shut out. You might have noticed that whenever I leave my door, I always do a little ritual. You know what that ritual is? I get into my, my, my pocket and I shake my keys. I have to do it. Why? Because I don't want to be shut out. It's a terrible feeling of being shut out. Well, that is the image that Jesus wants you to have in mind as you look at this passage. That fear of being shut out. And this parable really uh, helps us to understand that one day there will come a time when the door will be shut. The opportunity will be closed and it will be too late. But this parable also encourages us and helps us to anticipate actually the joy of being shut in, in the celebration with our Saviour. And so we've got those two sides in this parable. And this parable uh, continues really that, that theme of being ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just turn back with me to the beginning of Matthew 24. Uh, there um, the disciples are hearing that the temple is going to be destroyed. And the disciples ask, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Well, Jesus therefore is answering that question. And he seeks to divide up his answer into two sections. Verses 1 through to 20, uh, 35 is speaking very much about what? It's speaking about the judgment upon Jerusalem. It is speaking about the fall of the temple that indeed did happen in AD 70. And so this is speaking, verses 1 to 35, is speaking about judgment, a local judgment upon Jerusalem and on the temple. That was going to happen in their lifetime. Want to see proof of that? Have a look at verse 34. And you can see there, in their generation, that generation, he wants them to be ready for that event that would happen. But then there's a turning point in verse 36. 
And Jesus starts to speak about the end of the age. An age when Jesus will return. He uses the favourite term, he often uses for himself, the Son of Man. A term that reminded us that Jesus is indeed the promised King. The one who will put all things right. But he is the king unlike any other. He is familiar with suffering, even though he will be and has been exalted to the highest place. And one day all will see who he truly is. But that final day we see in these verses, look at these other parables. There's the parable of the thief. Uh, breaks in at night. We learn there, if you remember, that that day is unknown. And it will be like the thief in the night. No thief advertises that they're coming. But that day will also come unexpectedly, so that we must not be complacent. There was that parable, wasn't there, of the, uh, the servants who started beating up others just because he knew that... Uh, the return was a long time away, and suddenly it came, unexpectedly, and he was held to account. Well, Jesus, therefore, in these verses, continues that theme of being ready. And he helps us to picture a common event that would have been around at the time, of course, of a, a typical Middle Eastern marriage. And Jesus wants us really to grasp this from this passage this is what we want to learn this morning that those uh, not ready for Jesus will be excluded from the celebration when he returns or if I can put it another way he is warning you that it is possible to look like a Christian to sound like a Christian but not actually be one and ultimately to be shut out from the celebration. So that's what we want to look at uh, this, this morning as we look at these passages. So first of all, therefore, let's picture the scene before us. Let's picture the scene. Sorry. <laughs> let's picture the scene, first of all. Uh, so typically what would happen is that the bridegroom would leave his home in order to collect his bride. And as he goes from his own home, he would take some friends with him. And on reaching his bride, he would then place her on the back of a donkey or a camel and then lead her back to his own home. But they would deliberately go the long route Indeed, they would take as long as they can, going around all the villages and all the towns, on this wonderful, meandering visit. Why? Because they want everybody to cheer them and to celebrate with them that they are now husband and wife, that they are married. And as they take the long route home, they want people to celebrate with them. It's a little bit like what we would have in this country. Uh, have you ever seen it? I don't think it's actually done quite so much now. But you see a car and it's got tin cans at the back and confetti all over it. And it says on it, just married. 
and the car takes a long route back to the reception so that everyone can see they are married and can whoop and can cheer and do whatever else they want to do to celebrate that this couple are now husband and wife. And that's the imagery here. They're on their way back. And so we come to these bridesmaids, or perhaps better, young women. They would have been uh, between the ages of 12 and 18. They wouldn't have been married. And they want to join in in this great banquet too. And so they go to the groom's house and they're waiting for the groom to return. And they're full of anticipation. Could be here any moment. And so they wait. But of course we see in this parable something has happened. Night has fallen. And so they take with them their lamps. Now, it's one thing for a man to walk around at night, the, the Middle Eastern skies, the, 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 the moon and the stars would have given enough light to see by. But you would never get a young lady walking out at night without a lamp. Because those lamps were vital for not only their but for, for safety, but also their reputation. And they would have had these lamps to light up their face. In fact, uh, Kenneth Bailey, he, he lived in the Middle East for most of his life. This is what he said about these uh, young women. He said, oh, I've observed that village women do not c carry such lamps close to the ground so they can see the street. Instead, they carry them directly in front of their faces so that all can witness who they are and where they are going. And there they go to the bridegroom's house, waiting for the bridegroom and, of course, his bride, although the bride's not mentioned, to return. But there's a problem, isn't there? Do you see that there in the passage? What happens? The bridegroom took Ages now. Normally, in our in our society, it's the it's the bride that seems to take forever to come. But here, it seems to be the bridegroom is taking a long time coming. Of course, it's actually both of them in the culture. But they're waiting and they're waiting, and it seems like they are never coming. Look at verse five. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. What is Jesus doing here? He is again emphasising, again, that his return may well take a long time in coming. We know from our reading that we looked at earlier, from 2 Peter 3, that scoffers will come. What will they say? Where is this coming he has promised? Maybe you today are saying those very words. Where is this coming? Is there any sign of it? Well, Jesus said it will come as certain as the fall in Jerusalem came. It will come. And so we can know this morning that this return is certain. Jesus will return. But the longer the return is delayed, from a human point of view, we can say in the light of 2 Peter, why? 
Because he wants you to get ready. <laughs> because he wants people to come to know him. It's because of his patience that the end has not yet come. But the return will certainly happen. It will come at a day when you do not expect. But whether he comes or calls you in death, know for certain you will face the King of all the ages. You will face the Lord Jesus Christ and you will have to answer to him. And yet we see in this passage two responses. Do we see that there? We see the wise and the foolish. Look at verses 2 and verse 8. And so the response in this passage is one of two. It's either one of foolishness or wisdom. The wise, they took with them spare oil. They were um, prepared for the long wait. They knew that they were taking that long journey back. They knew they were trying to see as many people as possible. And so they were prepared. They had all. And when they, they woke up, when they heard that cry, here is the bridegroom, they came out and met with him. They were ready. Now, some discussion as to why the bride is not mentioned. But the structure of this passage is pointing us to Jesus. Look at verse 6. There the passage is hinged on the bridegroom, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great bridegroom. If you want to just turn back to Matthew 9 verse 15. And there Jesus is answering John's disciples who asked him about fasting. And Jesus says this, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time is coming when the bridegroom will be taken from them and they will fast. Remember Jesus, by this point of this parable, Matthew 25, he's less than a week away from his death. The bridegroom is going to be taken away. But one day, the bridegroom will return. And this passage is again reminding us that the wise response is to be ready for the bridegroom, to trust him, indeed to anticipate the glorious day when the bridegroom will return. Indeed, we know that Paul and John also both mention in their letters that Jesus is the bridegroom. I'll let you go uh, search the scriptures for those references to see where they are. But Jesus is the bridegroom and they were waiting for him to come and indeed for that great feast that was promised. Again, if you turn um, back to Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse 11, Jesus was marvelling at the faith of the centurion and he said this about the great feast. Look at verse 11, if you turn back to chapter 8. Many, I say to you, that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast 
Notice that at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So to be wise, therefore, is to do what? It is to anticipate Jesus' return as the great bridegroom, the one who will usher in this wonderful banquet of celebration with all those who have put their faith in him, like the centurion in John 8, sorry, Matthew 8 even. Uh, We are to put our trust in him. And if you are wise this morning, you too have placed your trust in him. And therefore you can anticipate and look forward to the great banquet that will happen. And I'm sure that uh, Tim and Carol's banquet will be wonderful. I'm sure it will be. But it won't be a patch, no offence, <laughs> on, on that great banquet in the future. There will be people from all over, the, all, all, all throughout the time, gathered together, celebrating the one who has saved them. What a day that will be. Indeed, every tear will be wiped away. And so, can I ask you this morning, does the the joy of seeing your Saviour fill your heart with joy? After all, Jesus came into this world to rescue sinners, to to, to restore them to his Father, to bring them into a community where they can serve, to give them his Spirit, to enable you, if you're trusting in him, to say no to sin and yes to God. To bring in this this new creation where death and sin can never again take hold. And to bring justice to those who are finally waiting for them. Does the arrival of the bridegroom fill you with joy this morning? It should do. And one of the purposes of meeting every Sunday and throughout the week and privately and, and, and formally, when we meet together, we are to build one another's faith up. We are to encourage one another. All the more as we see that day approaching. The truth is though, we do lose sight of his return. And so we need to keep hearing God's word. Keep reminding one another of what we have in Jesus. So that day is a day that we are eagerly anticipating for. That is how we are ready for Jesus' return, by putting our trust in him and anticipating and living in the light of his great return. But do you notice here, there is a contrast. And the contrast is with the the foolish ones. Indeed, that's the focus of this passage, is on the foolish ones. Because they did not have enough oil. So what did they do? Please, can we borrow some? (laughs) Please, can we have some of your oil? Now, I've often looked at this passage and thought, well, surely there's nothing wrong in sharing a bit of oil. Surely that that wouldn't have been too much of a problem. But remember, this isn't a parable about sharing. It's about a parable of being ready for when Jesus returns. And the truth is, that you cannot borrow someone's faith. You cannot borrow their faith. 
In other words, you must be ready for his return in the light of all that Jesus has revealed to you. It's no good relying on your parents' faith. It's no good relying on your spouse's faith. Or that you have lived in a so-called Christian country, although that excuse is rapidly uh, being shown for what it really is. Wrong. But can you see what I'm saying here? You cannot rely on someone else's faith. I heard a, a, a lovely story years ago. Uh, my dad was a caretaker in a school and he couldn't believe a letter that someone had written in. And the letter read something like this, if my memory serves me correctly. And it said this, Please do not let Billy take part in sports as his brother has asthma. Now just think about that for a moment. Can't take part in sports because his brother has asthma. Well, that letter could only bring freedom to the brother with asthma. It wasn't transferable to the brother that didn't have asthma. And in the same way, faith is not transferable. It has to be your faith. It has to be what you have responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I ask you this morning, are you trusting in Jesus? Have you come to that point of trusting him for yourself? Remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. And we know that Judas was with them. And he himself was not ready. And Jesus put these words in the bridegroom's mouth in reply to their plea. Lord, Lord, open the door for us. Look what he says in verse 12. Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Oh, we're back in Matthew 7, aren't we? But David preached this passage for us back in the summer. And there we learnt again the challenge of these passages. But Matthew 7, verse 21 says this. And you, you can't help but see the connection. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. See, there are many who are resting in yesterday's faith, a prayer a former commitment, even uh, the good things that they might be doing. Friends, that's not faith. Faith is not like a firework that goes up in a, a blaze of glory for a short while and then comes down as a burnt out stick. No, true faith is resting in Jesus Christ today. True faith is continuing to put your trust in his person and in his work. Genuine faith is never in the past tense. It's always in the present tense continuous. It is all about I believe, not I have believed. 
You see the point? And there are many who are still cruising, who are still thinking that all is well, when the reality is they are not right with Jesus. They have not put their trust in him. And maybe here today, you have been attending this church for months, years, and you have never actually put your trust in Jesus. Maybe you attend youth group, and you think that all is well because you're young, because you're here where you're hearing the gospel week in, week out. This parable says, watch out. Because, notice this, one day there will be a shut door. One day there will be a shut door. This door shuts personally at death. There's no doubt about it. The opportunity to put your trust in Jesus is closed then. But it will also be closed when Jesus returns in all his splendour. Our only hope is to trust in Christ now, before it's too late. Because the door was shut in Noah's time. I imagine them banging on the door as the rain fell. But it was too late. The door was open for 120 years while he was preaching the gospel. But the door was shut. And one day this door will shut to all who hear the gospel but keep putting it off. Do not put their trust in Christ. Let me tell you about two people. First one, her name is Jerry, not her real name. Uh, she was driving home with her friends uh, one evening in America and the truck, a truck pulled out in front of her and there was nothing that she could do. She was only 19 years old and she was killed. And she had always talked about Christian faith. That had always been her language. But as far as we're aware, she never put her trust in Christ. She was foolish. As far as we can tell, she is lost. The door was shut. And that is sad. Far more tragic than any road accident is dying without Jesus. Dying without trusting him. Contrast her to Mikey Williams. That is his real name. He was a preacher, a Bible-believing church, not far from here, a Church of England church that, that believed and preached is the gospel. He was diagnosed with a brain tumour and uh, surgery was just not possible. And he died uh, back in November, November the 8th, I believe. He was just 32 and left it a young family. But Mikey was so certain of his future he preached his last sermon when he didn't even know it was his last sermon. And his last sermon was taken from John 11. And he spoke of Jesus being the resurrection and the life. And his ringing question throughout that sermon was, are you ready for death? Are you ready 
for death. He had no idea that within a couple of weeks he was going to be getting these terrible headaches. And within a month, he'll be in glory. He never knew that. And the ringing question today is, are you ready for Jesus' return? Because it's essentially the same question. Are you ready? Have you put your trust in Christ? Because one day this door will be shut and that will be it. It's too late. Praise God for every opportunity he gives us. The spring comes. We're we're expecting another spring already. The flowers are coming up. But there's no promise of a summer or an autumn or winter. Who knows? There is no promise for another day. There is no promise for another gospel sermon. So can I ask you again, are you ready for Jesus' return? Because Jesus says here, summing up all that he's said so far, look at Matthew 25, verse 13. Therefore, keep watch, be prepared. Because you do not know the hour, the day, or the hour when Jesus will return. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's spend a few moments as we reflect on all that we've heard. Father, we do thank you for the wonderful reminder that Jesus is returning. That as the bridegroom, he will come to meet, uh, bringing with him the bride, the church. Father, we we thank you for, for this. Father, we thank you that that day will bring about a completion of all that has been started. And Father, we thank you that that day will bring about new bodies and new creation. And we look forward to that great day. And therefore, may we continue to encourage one another and to say that that day is more certain at this point in in time than tomorrow. Lord, we want to thank you for all we have in Christ. But Lord, we've also had that reminder that one day the opportunity will shut. We thank you that you are kind and you are merciful and that you have given us another day to hear the gospel, another opportunity. But many haven't heard this because for them it's already too late. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us not only to respond to this message in faith, but also to take this message out to our nearest and dearest and to to ensure that they hear this message and that they too are ready because we know that Jesus one day will return. So hear our prayers. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.